indeed, Pa. Yeah. Uh, again, I want to want to thank everyone for uh, certainly their their cards and letters about my mother's death, and I certainly appreciate that. I obviously can't thank everyone. Uh, plus, I'm not very good at writing notes. <laughs> Dyslexic. So I do do want to. I much appreciate it. So thank you for all those cards and letters. And also, uh, on Friday, Friday evening, uh, finally got a boy. <laughs> you know, so. William Amos, so I also appreciate the prayers for that. And both the mother and the child are doing well, so thank you all very much for that. Well, there was this crowded American Airlines flight, and just as the plane was just about ready to take off, this five-year-old boy decides to let loose and have a temper tantrum. And the embarrassed mother tried everything she could to calm the boy down, but nothing seemed to work. The more she tried, the louder he screamed, and the more he kicked the seats that were right in front of him. Suddenly, though, from the back of the airplane stepped out a retired Israeli Air Force general, and he came down the aisle, and he stopped right where the boy was throwing the temper tantrum. He leaned over, and he began whispering in the boy's ear. Instantly, the young boy calms down, sits in his seat, and he fastens his seatbelt. And course, all the passengers break out in spontaneous applause. As the general is making his way back to the seat, one of the flight attendants says, excuse me, general, but I just want to ask you, what magic words did you use on that boy? And the general kind of smiled, and then he said, I showed him my pilot's wings, my service stars, my military ribbons, and then I explained to him that these entitle me to throw one passenger out the plane door who I choose. You know, I got a letter a, long, a little while ago that said fear isn't a good thing. I think sometimes fear is a good thing, isn't it? Sometimes it works. Well, this morning we're going to continue our uh, study in the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. And we're going to look at the wisdom of discipline this morning, the wisdom of discipline. I've entitled the message, You Can't Be Successful Without It. You can't be successful without it. Lord, I just thank you for the worship this morning. We're always blessed with great worship teams, Lord God, and I thank you for each and every one of them, Lord God. They're just a true blessing to us. And now, Lord, as we turn to the Word, I just ask that you would fill me from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, and that truly the words that I would speak would be your words. I believe that this message is uh, just so vital for especially we here in America. And so I just ask that you would give us soft hearts to receive and ears to hear. And I just thank you for what is going to be accomplished. Now, I ask that people would truly be set free because of your word. And I just thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Skip, can you play the video? Sheriff? Yes, sir. You the boy's father? That's right. Simon Winkler. Andy Taylor. Now then, what's this all about? I was there, Mr. Winkler. Arnold was given a warning and continued rides bicycle on the sidewalk. The offense was clearly defined under normal weather conditions. <laughs> there was plenty of room. I wouldn't hurt anybody. People are coming in and out of stores on Main Street every minute. You never know when somebody's going to walk right out in front of you. Everybody's against me. <laughs> oh, there, there, son. Get him out. 
Now you see what you've done. You got the boy all upset. Was it such a crime? Seems to me you people would have more important things to do and go around frightening children. Now look here, Mr. Winkler. Arnold was warned and continued to ride his bicycle on the sidewalk. Now we're going to impound that bicycle. He learns to use it according to regulation. Can't you see this is a very sensitive child? Obviously, you don't understand it. Arnold's a good boy. You just don't understand it. Oh, I think I understand it. For heaven's sake, Sheriff, the boy's not a criminal. I didn't say he was. Now, what he does at home is none of our business. But when he gets out on the street, he's going to have to answer to us. I can show you in the statute book. The minimum punishment for this offense is impounding bicycle for one day. Well, you can't do it. I demand you return that bike and now. Now, you look here. You're that boy's father. You're responsible for his actions. Now, he's too young to be locked up. But if you're not going to take responsibility, maybe I ought to lock you up. You ever think of that? Yeah. Well, my dad ain't scared of that, are you? Make them put you in jail. That'll show him. Go on, Dad. Show them they can't push me around. Go on. Put him in jail. He won't care. How's that? My dad'll show you. He's tough. You, uh, you want me to lock your father up? He ain't afraid of you. I don't want to lose my brand new bike. I just got it. You'd rather I put your father in jail? There won't be any need to impound that bike. How's that? I'd like to have it. I want to sell it. Sell it? You're going to sell my bike? That's right, Arnold. But it's my bike. You can't sell my bike. Be quiet, Arnold. <laughs> Marty, you won't go get the bicycle. And four. No, 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 no. I won't let you. You can't do that. Arnold, be quiet. Mr. Winkler, would you like to continue this father and son discussion in quiet? Huh? I say, would you like to continue this in quiet? There's a real nice woodshed out back. Woodshed? Mm-hmm. Good old-fashioned woodshed? Real nice one. Hmm? Come on, Arnold. Think he deserves it? I don't want to say. After all, he is one of my own kind. <laughs> Proverbs 13, 24. Skip, can you put it up? King Solomon writes these words. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Samuel Coleridge. Skip, can you put up his picture? I don't know if we have his picture or not. Well, we don't have his picture, but Coleridge was uh, the famous English poet, and he lived during the early 19th century. And one day Coleridge was, uh, had a visit from a person, and at that time he had a rather enlightened view of raising children. In fact, he told Coleridge this, I believe children should be given free reign to think and act and thus learn at an early age to make their own decisions. This is the only way they can grow up to their full potential. 
Coleridge at that time didn't make a comment, but he simply led the man to his garden. And once he got to the garden, he said, come see my flower garden. And the opinionated visitor took one look at the overgrown garden, and he cried out, why, this is nothing but a yard of weeds. And Coleridge declared, it used to be filled with beautiful roses, but this year I thought I'd let the garden grow as it willed without tending it, and this is the result. You see, wisdom tells us that gardens and children are a lot alike. They will not automatically grow and flourish. They need loving, pruning, and weeding. In a word, they need discipline. In Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 15, we're told this. Skip, can you put that up? To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Now, when you see the word discipline there, think of the word training or think in terms of boundaries. So if you have a child and you decide to train them, if you give them boundaries, what will happen is more than likely your child will obtain wisdom. But if you choose not to give your children boundaries, if you choose not to discipline them in some way, what you will get is a wild child. You will get a foolish child. And unfortunately in America today, so many parents are growing up wild, foolish children. You know, it's interesting. Child psychologists not too long ago made a rather interesting discovery. Contemporary wisdom, worldly wisdom would state that if you put a fence around a playground, that would somehow restrict, you know, the children in their activity and in their play. So they did kind of an experiment. There was this fence, you know, uh, 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 around this playground, and they decided to remove the fence from around the playground, and the results were nothing short of surprising to the researchers. Instead of the children exhibiting this wonderful, carefree attitude, what the researchers found was this. The children actually became more inhibited in their activity, and they began to actually move towards the middle of the playground And they exhibited signs of insecurity. Now, what's really interesting is when they put the fence back around the playground, you know what happened? The children began to play with a lot greater, you know, freedom. They began to explore more. They had a lot more activity, you know, uh, than before and enthusiasm. Isn't that interesting? The truth is, boundaries, training, produce freedom and productivity. Boundaries produce freedom and productivity. What is the difference between a swamp and a river? Skip, put up the river, or the river. Put up the picture there. There you see a river, and there you see the swamp. You know what the difference is? One thing. A river has boundaries. Boundaries give flow, which results in productivity and power. On the other hand, you have the swamp there. The swamp really is free, doesn't really have defined boundaries, and guess what? It has no flow. It has no productivity. It has no power. In fact, a swamp is in the process of dying. Which are you? Are you a swamp or are you a river? If you are a river, then you have to have boundaries. You have to have discipline. Do you have them? Now, I want to get practical this morning, all right? So the practicality is this. I want you to think, what goals do you have? And whatever goals 
you're thinking of right now. Do you think you will achieve those goals without sacrifice? Do you think you will achieve those goals without discipline and boundaries? Anybody think that's just going to happen? Any great goal. You know what a great goal is? A great goal is any goal. Is any goal that has eternal ramifications. So if you are pursuing a goal, I'm challenging you right now, if you are pursuing a goal that does not have eternal ramifications, it is too small of a goal and it is not worth pursuing. But if you have a great goal, it's going to require, trust me, much discipline, it's going to require sacrifice, and it is going to require boundaries. You know what makes a great goal, by the way? A great goal is a goal that's not only eternal, I just want to make this crystal clear, a great goal is one that has eternal ramifications, and a great goal is one that is also God-ordained. So I want you to think about your goals again. The goals that you have, are they eternal in ramification, and are they God-ordained? So I want to look and talk about the great goal of getting out of debt. Several weeks ago, I talked about how Americans are in debt to their eyeballs. No, the average American is so incredibly, incredibly in debt. It is just so sad. In fact, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, listen to some of these figures now. The average household debt is this. Credit cards, $16,883. Auto loans, $29,539. Student loans, $50,626. Mortgages, $182,421. The average household income, just a hair under $60,000. You know what that all adds up to? Stress. Incredible stress. In fact, Solomon writes this. Remember this in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7? Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is the servant to the lender. Isn't that something? So when it comes to goals, this is a great goal. It is a great goal because it's God's goal, and it also has eternal ramifications. Just think about this for a moment. Just think how much money you would have if you weren't paying all that interest on your credit cards and other loans. Have you ever thought about that? How much money you would have at your disposal if you weren't paying all that interest on your credit cards and all the other loans that you might have. In fact, Jesus said this. Now listen to this in Matthew chapter 6. Skip, put it up. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your tre- now watch this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now this is what I call one of the critical verses in the New Testament. It separates the men from the mice. For the record, I just want to be clear, I do not believe in retirement in this life. You may retire from your earthly job, but you do not retire from being a witness for Jesus Christ. You do not retire from the Great Commission in Matthew 20. Go, go and make disciples of all nations. If you are a true born-again Christian, you don't retire from that. 
You do not retire from that. In fact, you know, uh, my retirement occurs the day I die. Skip, can you put up the picture? I just want to pay tribute for a moment. Billy Graham's one of my heroes, always was. 99 years old. 99 years. Can you imagine the moment for him after living for Jesus? And then he sees Jesus face to face. And I, I just had to pay tribute to him. Because that had to be an incredible moment. Now let me ask you a question. How well are you investing in your eternity? How well are you investing in your eternity? Now it's beginning to get quiet. You know, some people think that I'm a spiritual guy because I'm a pastor. I always have to laugh at that. But the reality is I don't think of myself that way. But I'll tell you one thing. I believe this book. No, no. I really believe this book. And Jesus said, lay your treasures up in heaven. You know what your treasures are? Now, I want you to think about this. Your treasures are your time, your money, and your talents. And you know what Jesus says to Frank Ray? He says, Frank, I want you to dedicate your time, your money, and your talents to me. I want you to give me as much as you can of those things. I want you to lay those things up in heaven so that you will have an incredible, an incredible, awesome retirement. You know what is truly disturbing to me? What is truly disturbing to me, being a pastor for almost 35 years, is how many American Christians are not looking forward to their death. How many American Christians are not looking for their death? And you know what? One of the big reasons is for that. One of the main reasons why so many American Christians are not looking forward to their death is because they have been not laying up their treasures in eternity. They haven't been spending their time, their money, and their talents on Jesus and pushing his agenda and his kingdom forward in this world. They've been spending their time and their money and their talents here, right here and now. The reason why so many American Christians are in debt, and I'm not saying everyone now, so don't write me nasty letters, all right? But a big reason why so many American Christians are in debt is because they're laying up their treasures right here on earth. Houses, cars, vacations, hobbies, and in pursuing these earthly treasures, they are in debt up to their eyeballs. Note what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21. Look what he says. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Where your treasure is, Frank, is where your heart be. Imagine if you're spending the vast majority of your time your money, your talents on Jesus and pushing his agenda and, and, and living for his kingdom. What do you think that's going to do to your heart? What do you think that's going to do to your passions? That was a question. What do you think it's going to do? It's going to inflame 
your heart. It's going to inflame, you know, your passions for Jesus. Here's what it'll look like. Can you imagine that moment? See, if you've put all your eggs in the Jesus basket here, no, no. If, if, if you're putting your time and your energy and your money and your talents and you're throwing them in there, I guarantee you, your heart's in, I mean, you can't, you're, you're waiting for that moment that you can only imagine what it'll be like when you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So you're in debt. It's a good goal to get out of debt. It's a great goal. It's a God goal to get out of debt. Now, you just think you're going to get out of debt. See, that's the question. No, it's going to take a thing called delayed gratification. You ever heard of that? Delayed gratification. Actually, I learned that at a rather young age. You know, when Frank was little Frankie, little Frankie liked chocolate cake. Skip, can you put it up? Isn't that, isn't that great? Now, I, you know, to maximize my, my dining pleasure... You know what I did? I, just, just ignore him. I would cut around the icing, the chocolate icing, and I would eat the cake part first. You ever did that? Come on, you did it. And, and you're eating the cake part. And each time I would eat a piece of that cake part, I mean, my anticipation would build to the moment I could dive in to that chocolate icing. And when I finally got to that chocolate ice, whoo, that was ecstasy, baby. No, no, that was ecstasy. You know, can you imagine... You know, and, and, and to achieve any goal, to achieve any goal, you must practice delayed gratification, whether it's getting maximum pleasure or whether it's achieving a goal. In this cr- case, to get out of debt, you're going to have to practice delayed gratification. And the first step in getting out of debt now, with respect to delayed gratification, is you have to visualize in your mind's eye getting out of debt. You know, wouldn't it be great if you're in debt? I remember when I was in debt, so I know what I'm talking about. You remember that pit in the stomach? You don't even want to get up sometimes because you got bills that you know you can't pay. You're a slave to the lender. Can you imagine the moment you finally get out of debt? See, that's the first step in getting out of debt is to picture in your mind's eye what it'll be like when you get out. And you've got to keep that picture before you. And then once you do that, the second thing you need to do is practice discipline. You've got to establish boundaries. For example, start couponing, cutting cable. Oh, are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. It would actually probably be a really good thing for most people to cut their cable and actually spend their time on something that's eternal, maybe reading the Bible. Well, we don't want to get you know, too convicting right here, right yet. How about stop going out to eat? Ooh. How about bake, break up with your barista? So we know some people know exactly what I'm talking about. Cutting up your credit cards, actually living within your means, saving some so that you can pay down your debt, practice a thing called snowballing. I could go on. I'm not here to give a financial seminar. 
The point is, if you want to get out of debt, you have to picture it in your mind's eye, that goal of getting out of debt. It's a good goal. It's a great goal. It's a God-given goal, but it's going to take boundaries. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take delayed gratification. And can you imagine, though, can you, I, I do remember, can you imagine the day you, you finally get out of debt, you pay that last credit, you pay it off. Woo! Oh, a baby. I mean, that's freedom. That's free. And, and all of the boundaries and the sacrifice, it was worth it. Oh, man, was it worth it. And that's what you need to keep in front of you. Now, I want to move to the challenge because I want to talk about the mother of all goals, all right? That all was for free. You know what the mother of goals is? To know Jesus. See, that is the mother of goals. To know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And let me tell you something. When your Ted is struck down like Billy Graham or like my mother, and I, I watched her there. It's amazing what technology can do. FaceTime. Just with the right moment, my sister comes walking in. My mom's dying. She puts the phone on. I see her last three minutes of life. She's there, and then she's gone. And there she enters eternity. And you know what? You know what she saw? She saw Jesus in all of his splendor, in all of his glory. He was brighter than the sun. And I hope she didn't go, oh, my goodness. How could I have wasted my life on such pipsqueak goals? How could I have done that? In comparison to knowing Jesus. You know, if you want to know Jesus, if you want to know, I mean, you want to experience the King of kings and the Lord of Lords, you want to know his life. You want to know the power of his resurrection. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen because you go, well, I think I'm going to go to a concert tonight. I think I'll go to a conference. Maybe I'll stand at a prayer line and get a holy zapping. Sorry, it doesn't work like that. See, th this goal is going to be tough. In fact, over 2,000 years ago, 2,700 years ago, the Hebrew prophet Jeremiah wrote these powerful words in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me. Notice, you're doing it. You will seek me and find me when, when you sit in front of the television and eat bonbons. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with... Oh, wow. Woo, that was passion. You will seek me and you will find me when you with all your heart. God refuses to be a hobby. No, no. God refuses to be a hobby, something you might do in your part, your spare time. If that's where you're at, don't even worry about it. Not going to happen. Will not happen that way. He's either your one consuming passion in life or he's not. 
you really want to know Jesus, if you want to know his splendor, if you want to know his greatness, if you want to know his glory, if you want to know his life, no, no, you want to know his healing, overcoming power, it's going to cost. There's a sacrifice. Oh, yeah, there's discipline. How about these boundaries? Read your Bible every day. Read. You know why I read? And I've been at this almost 40 years. And I'm still reading. And you know why I read this thing? Because I'm waiting. I say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. No, no. He speaks. But you've you got to be ready. You've got to want it. Well, I'm, I, I got one minute. I got the one-minute devotional, you know, on my iPhone. No, no. Just take the iPhone and throw it away. No. Guys. And see, then you begin. You know what prayer is? It's, it's really, as you're reading, you're listening. See, everybody thinks prayer is, here's Jimmy, let me tell you, but you can give me God today. No. We'll hit this next week. No, it doesn't. No. And then you know what? Christianity is a team sport. No, no, it is a team sport. That's why you see me time and time again challenging you. (coughs) Are you in a small group? The early Christians are meeting how many? How often? The average American Christian, whoa, you're smoking if you go to church twice a month. Woo! Wow, check that one off. Two hours. Two hours of Jesus a month. Mm -mm. See, it doesn't work. It's a team sport. You need fellow You know what made football doable? It was the brothers. No, it was the brothers. And they're, you know, when you get down, they're patting you on the poo-poo there. Come on, don't quit. <coughs> get up. Get up. Nose and face is all bloody. Get up. You can do this. We can do this. See, that's why you're meeting <coughs> regularly for that. And let me tell you the fourth thing you need to do. If you're serious, you've got to cut out anything that takes your passion away for Jesus. I love people. Well, you know, I, I watch this show here. It's funny. Uh, you know, it's, it's not outright sin. Well, after you got done with the show, w- were you really stoked for Jesus? <laughs> not exactly. No, you were in the flesh. See, we have the wrong standard here. Whatever you're doing... It may not be just outright sin, but if it's taking away your passion, seeking him, why would you do it? Doesn't make any sense. See, I want to know Jesus. See, that's, because you, you just get a little taste of Jesus. Whoa, you get a little taste of Jesus, and no drug, no alcohol, no sports can compare. Why do you think Nick Foles, the winning quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, he says, I, 
I can't wait till I'm done with this. I'm going to be a pastor. I want to give him a phone call. God help him. No, I'm just kidding. Because he realizes God is a lot greater than a Super Bowl. That's why. That's why. Any goal, though, you want to achieve, it's going to take discipline. It's going to take boundaries. Lord, I pray we just get serious. It's so easy in America. I mean, Satan just has such an easy time. He puts this little tinsel here. He puts this little glitter over here. Whoop! And we're over there chasing tinsel. Things that don't matter. I'm praying, Lord, that we will pursue the greatest goal of all, seeking him and knowing him. Everything is an offshoot of that. Our marriages, our parenting, our jobs, <coughs> everything. If we get that right, everything falls into place. Oh, Holy Spirit, now just move in us. Just move in us as we sing this final song. Be honest, this, this was just a warm up for next Sunday. <coughs> next Sunday, you'll see me come unhinged. It's a message I've been waiting to preach a long time, so it will come next week. Listen to this one over and over. It'll set up for next week, so really want to invite you to that. That message will be pretty much saying it all. If you want to be serious about Jesus, you've got to follow him in baptism. If you never have, we're planning to have a baptism in April. Please see Jeff or Tom about that or call the office. We'll see how strong our prayers are. Prayer and praise Wednesday. We're in desperate need of a revival. We're in desperate need of a revival. So please come Wednesday, 6.30 to 7.30. We're going to be praying for a revival. And finally, remember, Agape Dinner, March 15th, the India team will be sharing. And also one of my favorite things to do, a God-given goal is to eat. So there... I don't know if that has eternal ramifications or not. Please join us there. If, you know, you've been here coming, but you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, we will have people up here more than happy to talk with you, pray with you after the service. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you, and may he give you the greatest goal of all. May he give you a passion just to know him and make them known. God bless you and take care. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church, You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. 
We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making him known.